0: A school of education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com.
1: Good morning. It's 830 on Tuesday, November 13th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a U.S. Senator repeatedly refuses to speak about a controversial public hanging joke. We've got the latest.
2: I put out a statement yesterday, and that's all I'm going to say about it.
1: And after a conversation in StoryCorps, we'll hear how a coalition of universities and organizations across the state are stocking food banks to feed students on college campuses
2: majority of our students are Pell Grant eligible, which means that they're coming from homes where there is a financial need. And because there's a need, there's a large percentage of students who are financially lacking and are hungry.
1: That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Republican Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith spoke to reporters Monday, refusing to comment on a social media video in which she says she would be on the front row of a public hanging. Instead, she repeatedly cited a vague written statement.
2: We put out a statement yesterday, and we stand by that statement. Could
0: you expand on it then why you said it?
2: We put out the statement yesterday, and it's available, and we stand by that statement. Senator, are you familiar with Mississippi's
3: history of lynchings?
2: I put out a statement yesterday. And that's all I'm going to say about it. You, you mentioned Brian.
3: that there shouldn't be, it shouldn't be viewed with a
2: negative connotation. Just I put out a statement yesterday, positive. and we stand by the statement, and that's all I'm going to say about it.
1: Hyde-Smith is calling the quip an exaggerated expression of regard for someone who had invited her to speak. Hyde-Smith has been in the Senate seat on a temporary basis since her April appointment. Republican Governor Phil Bryant spoke in support of Hyde-Smith.
4: Uh, She's certainly addressing uh, the fact that she has put out a statement. I can tell you all of us in public life have said things on occasion that we could have phrased better. When you make as many speeches as we do in public life, that does occur. But I know this woman and I know her heart. I knew it when I appointed her. I know it now. She meant no offense by that statement. There was nothing in her heart of ill will. Uh, Now, in a political campaign, people can make anything you say what they want it to say. They can spin it. They can go on social media and accuse you of all sorts of things. She Uh feels certain that, um, I I believe I won't speak for her, but that her statement spoke to it. Um, Absolutely, we have been sensitive um, to race relations in this state. I brought the president of the United States here to open the Civil Rights Museum. That African-American leadership, that would fail to even come to the event because the President of the United States was there. Today I talked about the genocide of over 20 million African-American children. You see, in my heart, I am confused about where the outrage is at about 20 million African-American children that have been aborted. No one wants to say anything about that. No one wants to talk about that. That's That's a conflict that we see.
1: Hyde-Smith faces Democrat Mike Espy in a November 27th runoff to determine who will permanently succeed retired Senator Thad Cochran. Her comments have been scorned because the notion of public hanging brings to mind the lynching of African Americans across the South between the end of the Civil War and the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s. Espy responded to the comments during a CNN interview.
5: Uh, well, those comments that we heard uh, that were published yesterday, are very disappointing. They're, um, they're, they're hurtful and they're harmful. They're, they're, they're hurtful to the millions of Mississippians who, um, who, who are, are people of goodwill, and they're harmful because they tend to reinforce the stereotypes that have held back our state for so long and that have cost us jobs and have harmed our economy. I mean, this is 2018. Uh, we're going here in Mississippi into the third decade of the 21st century, and we just should not have mm. this. We need leaders that would try to try to unite us and, and
1: not divide us. Espy tells CNN Mississippi's violent history of lynching black people is not the only reason Hyde-Smith's comments are wrong. He says the state's reputation may also affect the economy. It's tone deaf. I mean, here in Mississippi, we do
5: not need to reinforce those old stereotypes that have continued to haunt our state and cost
1: us jobs. Espy says the comment is not one of a good leader for Mississippi. Look,
5: all I know is we need leaders now here in 2018 that will bring us together. And my campaign is a campaign that tries to reach across the racial chasm, reach across the party chasm, and bring us together. Uh, it, it's time out for all of this. We need to move forward as a state. And I'm the leader that will do that.
1: The runoff election is set for Tuesday, November 27th. Coming up, we'll learn how a coalition of universities and organizations across the state are stocking food banks to feed students on college campuses. That's after StoryCorps. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
4: My last play as an NFL player was probably the worst concussion I ever had.
0: Blows, jolts, or hits to the head while playing put Mississippians at risk for concussions and brain injuries.
2: She's been hit so many times in soccer, just to see her go down like that.
0: But some healthcare experts say more hits could mean more damage.
2: I tell my patient it's not
3: adding, it's multiplying when you have more than one concussion.
0: Concussion, a game changer. A two-part series premiering November 16th at 7.30 p.m. on MPB Television.
4: Melvin and Monique Davis are transplants. When moving to the South, they had a number of well-known southern cities to choose from. In this visit on the StoryCorps mobile tour in Mississippi, they share why they ultimately chose Jackson.
0: My mother's from Jackson. My grandfather left me a farm here. And I always enjoyed coming to Mississippi when I was a child, mainly because I was always treated like I was a celebrity. I could do no wrong. I got anything I wanted. And I just loved coming to Mississippi. I thought it was heaven on earth. My grandmother's yard looked like a garden show, food never stopped, she took me shopping every day. Why wouldn't somebody want to move to Mississippi? As I got older, my parents passed and my my only brother passed, I kind of was looking for more purpose in life. I worked for the Bell System, which became Verizon, for, for 20 years. And I was looking for more purpose in my life where I didn't go out and come up with ingenious solutions to mundane problems. And I wanted more out of my life than that. And I figure if I took an early retirement in my 40s, I would still have enough energy to do something else. And I really wanted to do something different in my life. Secondarily, we have six kids. And D.C. is an extremely violent place to raise young men. They were killing two black males a night and we had five of them so odds weren't good and this turns out to be a wonderful safe place for children from that respect I I never regretted it mainly I wanted to move to Mississippi to get some greater purpose in my life I guess
3: did you care about what I thought about moving from D.C. to Jackson
0: I'm sure I asked
3: you yeah you asked me (laughs) (laughs) did you did but did you want to say well what my reasoning process was is it green, green to move?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I thought I knew what your reasoning process was.
3: Okay, well, well, let me just say why why I wanted to move to the south, but it was between Birmingham and Jackson. Oh, so, yes, I forgot. Yeah. yeah, and so we hadn't really decided which southern city we were going to move to, and you had two wonderful sets of relatives mm-hmm. at both locations.
0: Vastly different relatives. But
3: vastly different. And so one was more reserved. Mississippi family was more reserved and quiet. But the Birmingham relatives were the opposite.
0: They were energetic.
3: They were a lot more energetic. And you never were in doubt about where you stood with them. And so because I was from a family of non combative people, I thought Jackson would be a better fit for us, so that's one of the reasons I chose Jackson and because I'm a coffee lover, they had a lots of in they have cups here, which is an independent coffee store, and so you know coffee always gets me so that's why I thought it was a good idea to move to Jackson, Mississippi
0: do you think it's still a good idea is the question?
3: I do think it's a really good idea. I think that we have been able to build a really strong network, primarily because we opened a barbecue business and did a lot of community advocacy work. But the barbecue business part of it was not my
0: idea. Well, I like it because I believe it made us better people.
3: Well, yeah, if you're going to go through the whole moralistic thing of growing and, you know, moving out of your comfort zone, then yes. But I don't want to be pushed. But, you know, I have a thing with um, rules and compliance. and
0: Not being told what to do. I don't like being
3: told what to do. uh,
0: Even though you need to be told what to do.
3: Need to be told what to do. Oh, there is something my feminist bone, I don't know, just something... Yeah. No. Oh, I'm sorry.
0: Need want to be told what to do. Oh, that's, like
3: even, worse. <laughs> that's
0: <laughs> even worse. Even <laughs> worse. You're not supposed to like it.
3: <laughs> no. Okay. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
1: goodness. To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps Mobile Tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps Mobile Tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
6: Whether traveling through Oxford or Tupelo, stuck in traffic in Jackson or Meridian, or cruising along the coast in Biloxi or Ocean Springs, MPB goes with listeners wherever they go. Your company's message can go along, too. Go to mpbonline.org underwriting to find out how.
1: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. At least 36% of university students are food insecure, meaning they don't have reliable access to nutritious food. That's according to the College and University Anti-Hunger Alliance of Mississippi. It's a coal pardon me, it's a coalition of institutions and organizations across the state. They are creating food pantries accessible to students in an effort to combat hunger on college campuses. Karen Dunn is director of student engagement at Gahoma Community College. She tells MPB's Ashley Norwood more.
2: The Anti Hunger Alliance uh, is definitely uh, a, a needed alliance on our campus. We found that uh, students are hungry on college campuses. Uh one of the ways that we have I guess addressed it with before we had an official food pantry was that faculty and staff realized it uh having been a member of faculty for many years we realized that students are hungry. So the way that we addressed it is we would keep snacks in our offices. I think students got to know who was the snack lady in particular areas of the campus. And I know that that wasn't something that was unique to us at Kahoma that in many campuses across the nation, instructors have stashes of noodles and granola bars that they keep on hand to hand out to students. And so when, for me, when I moved over to The student affairs side of the campus, I saw more students other than those that I traditionally taught and saw that hunger was more widespread on our campus than I had initially thought. Um, And so this is simply a way to ensure that our students succeed outside of academics. Our students, when you're hungry, you can't focus on learning. And so it's simply another way that we want to help our students to be successful.
7: And I also read um, that it's more prevalent on community college campuses. How do you respond to that?
2: Certainly, it is because uh, at Oklahoma specifically, the majority of our students are Pell Grant eligible, which means that there is def- they're coming from homes where there is a financial need, and so that we know that uh, and, and that goes for all community colleges, that uh, more students are Pell Grant eligible. And because there's a need there, there's a large percentage of students who are financially lacking and are hungry. And so that's why we know that it's prevalent on on community colleges or more prevalent on community colleges.
7: Right. So what are some of the things that are available in the pantry? Um, You know, can any student come and visit? And then also how can... Other Mississippians get involved and also help to feed students.
2: In fact, our pantry is open for not just students but also. Faculty and staff, and we've tried to have it on a location where it would be anonymous, so that there is no stigma associated with needing to visit the the food pantry on our campus. Uh, one of the ways that it is currently funded is by donations. Our alumni have decided to take up on our food pantry as one of their focal points, so they made a large donation, but we simply have shared it on social media, and we've been blessed that people have donated to our food pantry. We are currently stocked with items like noodles, with uh, packaged fruits, with uh, fruit snacks, granola bars, macaroni and cheese, things that students can come in, heat up very uh, inexpensively and eat. And you'd be surprised that um, peanut butter and jelly is something that is a a very uh, hot commodity item as well, which lends itself just to show that our students are hungry. Right. Um, the person on campus who uh, who staffs our food pantry, her name is Trina Cox. It's one of the initiatives of our division of student engagement, and we share her email address and we share her her name on our website. If there are any people who would be willing to donate, please don't hesitate to contact me. My name again is Karen Dunn, and I'm going to share my email address: k w d o n e at kahoma cc.edu. That's C-O-A-H-O-M-A-C-C.edu.
7: All right, that's Karen Dunn, Director of Student Engagement at Oklahoma Community College. I want to thank you again for your time, and um, good luck with the efforts to combat hunger on college campuses.
2: I appreciate the opportunity to share a story.
1: Michaela Hampton of Tennessee is a junior at Tugaloo College near Jackson. She tells us MPB's Ashley Norwood, she tells MPB's Ashley Norwood, some students cannot afford to purchase additional meals.
8: Everybody isn't eligible for work studies, so some people can't get jobs on campus. And then if you don't have a car, you can't get to a job, even if you were hired for a job. So that takes a toll on whether or not you can grocery shop, whether or not you can even go out and buy food from like a fast food restaurant.
7: And it seems like it's it's more prevalent on our historically black college campuses. How does that make you feel?
8: Well, I know for a fact my brother, he goes to a PWI, and they have a lot more food options on campus than um, Tougaloo does. Like, their um, hours are longer, for sure. Like, their calf hours are longer. And then they do have more options around campus to eat. Like, they have more, um, like, fast restaurants and, like, sandwich shops and stuff on campus. And then they're, um, he doesn't often have to come out of pocket for that because he gets a food, like, the food cart. Um, so he can use that at different places. So I do think that sometimes that's unfair because it's, like, we hungry, too. but um, And then even um, with the food options, I think that the food options, they're often better. And they do have, like, a bigger school, so I guess it also depends on, like, the budget that they have towards the calf, But they usually have better food options, too, so it's not as if they have to come out of pocket as much because the food... It's more
7: enjoyable, I guess. Tougaloo, they're joining an alliance um, with some other schools, and they're going to be developing a pantry. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell me what you think about that idea. Do you think that that may help the situation? Do you think also that students, let's say, that are in that situation, do you you think that they will utilize the pantry? Because sometimes, you know, when we need help, we don't go get help Mm -hmm. because we feel like someone may be looking at us or they may, you know, judge us because we're going to a pantry to get food when we know that we really need it.
8: I think that's a great idea. I've heard of other HBCUs recently, like, getting pantries, and I don't think people should be ashamed to get it. I think that they should make it seem as, um, like, when they describe it, they should make it seem as if it's not, like, oh, like, if you need it, like, I think they should make it seem as if it's something more open, I guess, so people would be more accepting to going. So
7: not, like, you know, targeting a certain kind of student, but, like, hey, this is available.
8: if you need it, I think... Then people and I feel like college students, like people joke around all the time, like talking about like the broke college student. I feel like people would go because a lot of times people joke about being a broke college student, but oftentimes just people actual reality, like people really don't have money to go out and get food. Especially like I said, if the hours are closed and you need that, I feel like people would definitely go. I feel like people would definitely go to a pantry. I think that's a great idea.
1: Marquise Hunt, also a student at Tugaloo College, says he thinks the school is unable to offer some of the choices that larger schools can provide.
6: First I'll I'll talk about my institution, Tougaloo College. Um because it is a private institution, we do not have access to those other uh, food chains like Jackson State. Um I know that Jackson State has like Chick-fil-A, Burger King and uh, you know, different food chains on their campuses where we only have really one option. Um and the reality of it is that sometimes causes an issue because of the barriers that are in place as it relates to how long the calf is open. Um, what type of food that they're providing to the students. And then when you think about other issues of transportation, especially we know that transportation has always been an issue, especially in marginalized communities. And we, of course, have a number of students who are migrating from other areas of marginalized communities to attend a historically black college or university. And so because County Line, which is probably five minutes away, has a lot of those uh, eateries and stuff like that, It also causes a barrier because some students don't have transportation to get there, and they don't have money. But then you come to the CAF, and the CAF is rarely open, um, and then they only have a limited option of of food. And so I think that that's also important. And then on top of that, you know that some students at a lot of institutions have to have a meal plan. And so if you don't have a meal plan, then you can't eat in the CAF. And that comes as a barrier a lot of students, not only at HBCUs, but at some of the other institutions of higher learning um, in the state of Mississippi. So I think that it's very important for us to look at that and find ways to provide more resources as it relates to food um, for our students, because we know that that is a factor that plays into higher education.
1: For information on how you can donate to food pantries on college campuses, visit the Partnership for a Healthy Mississippi online. In other news, deadlines for applications to college are drawing closer. Stephen Brown is a counselor with the Woodward Hines Education Foundation. He tells us how the FAFSA plays a part in determining financial need and support.
9: Applying is the first step to college. So then the FAFSA application opens on October 1st of a student's senior year. And so the FAFSA doesn't actually award them anything, But it determines their eligibility for federal aid, but then it's also used uh, sometimes to calculate some of the state aid programs for some college scholarships, even for some financial aid directly from the college.
1: What if they're applying to multiple schools?
9: So they don't have to apply to college before they apply, before they complete the FAFSA, but it's best to go ahead and do that as soon as the application opens. And on the FAFSA, you can list multiple schools, you can list up to 10 colleges.
1: What kind of information do you need for FAFSA? You can do it all online, I understand. But what do you need to have at the ready as you're filling out an application?
9: So the FAFSA will be based on a student's household income. So the kind of thing that a parent that is completing the FAFSA for this year is going to be the parent's 2017 tax return. If the student filed taxes, then they will also be using their 2017 tax return
1: as well. If the student is independent, if they're over 21 and they're on their own, do they still need financial information from their parents?
9: There are very strict criteria that will make a student independent. If they are 24 or older, if they have a child that they provide at least half of the support for, if they are in the legal guardianship, if they are married, if they are a ward of the court or if they're in foster care, If they're a veteran or on active duty, these kind of things will make a student independent, but not just that they um, have moved out of the house or anything like that.
1: It sounds like FAFSA is a big umbrella, and under that umbrella are various programs. Does FAFSA also cover or will steer students in the direction of scholarships?
9: Absolutely. There are actually a lot of colleges now that are requiring students to have a FAFSA completed and on file even before they award their institutional scholarships. Essentially, they want to know what they're eligible for from the federal government, you know, before they just give them the school scholarships.
1: Tell us about the HELP grant. That's Mississippi specific?
9: Right. The HELP grant is only for uh, Mississippi students. If a student scores at least a 20 on their ACT, they have at least a 2.5 GPA in their college prep curriculum they met all the necessary academic requirements as far as the classes that they would need to take, and their parents make below a certain income, the HELP grant will pay full tuition and fees to any public school in the state of Mississippi. And if they want to go to a private school, it'll pay up to the tuition of the closest public for eight semesters.
1: A Pell grant is a federal grant? Does the Pell grant have the same restrictions or criteria that have to be met as the HELP grant?
9: There's no ACT requirement for the Pell Grant, but you just have to maintain at least a 2.0 GPA, which is uh, regarded as satisfactory academic progress.
1: Stephen Brown is a counselor for the Woodward Hines Education Foundation. Stephen, thank you very much. Good information.
9: Thank you so much for your time.
1: Listen to MPB News on all your devices. Just download the MPB Public Media app or tell your smart speaker, open MPB Think Radio. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks. Then at 10, it's In Legal Terms. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you think about a story or send us a news tip by visiting MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.
0: for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com.